tell you, it's actually um, in the six or seven years that I've been involved in ministry, I've been given access to the inner thoughts and the hurts and pains of today's youth generation. And although they may not all be as extreme and as intense and heavy, um, I think it's fair to say that through the time I've been able to, our ministry has been able to see many of the hurts on this wall. And we've even seen similar hurts that were quoted here. I think it's fair for us also to say that we have maybe had experience or we've know people around us because the truth is that these are not simply kept to teens alone. These pains of feeling abandoned and rejection and loneliness and feeling broken is something that we probably have around us. And we may have people in our families, in, in, at our jobs, or co-workers, and within our friendship circles, and any other, you know, social settings. We could hear it. We could hear the clues. And yet the beautiful thing about God, and what Jesus came to share and give, is that this is not where it ends. That... Jesus coming into the human condition and taking on our pains and taking on the hurts of humanity and really weighing it on himself and then giving us a way to find life and hope and joy and wholeness gives this picture actually a great opportunity. It is in the darkest places that God comes in and shines the brightest. It is in the most loneliest and maybe toughest, heaviest places that the life of Jesus shines and breaks through. And it's powerful. And throughout all of Scripture, we're able to see that God is interested in helping people overcome the hurts of life. We're able to see that there are pains and hurts and struggles through humanity and God is very interested in coming beside people and helping them overcome the hurts. And many times we see that God is actually wanting to use people like you and I to help others overcome. In fact, we see this illustrated through a story that Jesus shared. And it's, if you open up your handout, it's a story we're going to be just sitting on for a little bit. It's a, it's a story that probably many of us are familiar with. We have come to know it as the story, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is asked the question of what it really might look like to love a neighbor and who that neighbor might be. And so in response to this, we're going to just jump into verse 30. Jesus shares it with a story. And, and he says, he starts it off by saying, a certain man, we're not told what age, we're not told where he's from or 
you know, who he is. We're not told much. We just know that an individual, a certain man, was, uh, went down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And on this particular path, in this pass from Jerusalem to Jericho, back in that day, if we were listening in on this conversation that Jesus had, like some of his disciples were listening in, we would understand that this pass actually is pretty dangerous. It's uh, the Jerusalem to Jericho Pass is about a 20-mile stretch uh, that came to be known as, it was nicknamed back then in certain circles as the Bloody Pass. Because this trail, this part of the journey was particularly filled with spots and curves and turns where at any given moment people can just come out and attack and do exactly what happened to this man. In fact, we're told that this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. And the thieves came to him and they stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him. So they took everything they wanted and they, they made sure that he would not be capable of going after them. And we're told that they wounded him and hurt him in such a way that when they left, he was near death. This man was actually left ready to die and it's probably what they wanted to intend on this man so that there was no chance of being caught, no chance of being pursued, nothing. And this man was left there and we're told, Jesus says that at, at a given moment in time, we don't know how long time, how much time had passed, but by chance a priest came down that road and we know that a priest was somebody that worked in the temple, somebody who represented, if anybody was capable of helping somebody in need, it would be a priest. If anybody was qualified to step into the need, it would be a priest. And so probably there is some sort of expectation of the priest coming by and seeing the wounded and doing what was necessary. But Jesus being the way he is, you know, t turning and kind of dissecting what we would expect and looking at things differently. He says, you know what, the, the priest comes down and he came down and he came down that road. He saw him. And instead of coming up to the man, he actually goes across the other side of the pass and, and just keeps going. And we're told that a little time later, there was a Levite. And uh, we're told that this Levite, when he had arrived to the place, he he came also, like the priest, down this pass. And, you know, it was a dangerous pass, so it was probably likely. In fact, some people would suggest and surmise that this pass was so dangerous that some people, it might be fair to suggest that maybe the reason the priest left and the reason the, the Levite, when he came and sat there and looked, that one of the reasons there was a lack of helping was because maybe... This was all a hoax, and maybe this was just part of the plan of the thieves to get somebody to stop. I mean, maybe there was something there, and there was a personal danger associated with stepping in and helping. There was something there that would cause them to maybe feel like they were not capable of helping. In fact, we're told that the Levite comes, and when he arrives at the place, he came, and he looks at the men, and he just... He just stares. We're not told how long. And I got to tell you, being in ministry, I kind of, I understand what that must be like. I mean, it's, it's heavy being around 
hurts and pains and kind of at different points experiencing this. I, I understand what it's like to be aware of a certain issue or maybe hear hints of something larger that is not totally being expressed and being there kind of in shock, maybe a little bit stunned and wondering, what could I possibly do? I mean, there have been a number of times when I have sat on the other side of a conversation thinking to myself, I just don't know what I can do. And the truth is, you just feel so unqualified and incapable of offering what is truly needed. And, and so this Levite sits there, and I'm wondering if a part of that was going through his mind, looking at the injured man, maybe desiring to help, maybe not knowing, being careful about what was going on around him. This is a dangerous pass. It's not a place you want to stop for interruptions. It's not really. Maybe he had some obligations, some responsibilities to get to, like the priest, and stopping for this injured man, this stranger who is injured and hurting, is probably... Not the best thing. And so he decides that after stopping and coming and looking, he, he says, I'm just going to pass on. And so Jesus says, this man, after sitting there, goes ahead and, and leaves. And, and then he introduces our third character, which is the Samaritan. And Samaritans back then, we would understand it. If we were sitting there and listening in on this conversation, Jesus knew that among the Jewish people, not that he totally, he didn't identify with this sentiment, but there was a bit of tension, maybe animosity towards the Sumerian, Samaritan people. In fact, we know that if Samaria was in between Galilee up north and Jerusalem down south, and if there was any way that you needed to go to Galilee, you would actually walk around Samaria to just avoid contact. Because they were people that Jewish people did not have dealings with. And there might have even been a two-sided tension going on here. And so they would understand that the Samaritan was somebody that they totally, you know, there was animosity there, right? And so Jesus sets it up so that Samaritan is walking down, going down the pass. And like, like the priest and the Levite, he comes and he, as he journeyed, he came where he was, where the man was. And he stops. But something changes. Jesus says that when the, the man, being the Samaritan, saw the injured man, he had compassion. And this compassion actually makes time pause. This compassion allows an interruption into the Samaritan's life. And this compassion drives the Samaritan to actually get off of his animal. And we're told that Jesus says that this man comes up to the man and he grabs, he, he bandages his wounds up. And then he, he gets oil out of what he has and oil and wine and he cleans him and he tries to soothe him and try to start the healing process on this man. Compassion is what drove this man to stop what he was doing and help a complete stranger. And so he says that not only did he just help him, I mean, that in itself would be amazing. That in itself would be like, you know what, I'm going to help you as best I can. Can you get up? Are you okay? Maybe we can go, you know, along our ways. Maybe we stick together. But the man's injuries were beyond that. And so the Samaritan grabs the man and 
he sets him on his own animal. A complete stranger, right? And we're told that the, the Samaritan walks down through the pass and he goes into the inn. And then he, you get the picture of the Samaritan coming to the pass with his animal and the man who's injured and hurting on his animal. And he picks up the animal. The animal. <laughs> that would be funny. So um, <laughs> he grabs the man who is on his animal and he brings him into the inn. And you get the picture of, of the Samaritan saying, you know what, this, I need a room. Just, just give me a key, give me a room. And I just... You can see we need some help here. And so he grabs him and he takes him into his room and he sits there with the man and he sits there with a stranger and he takes care of him. And we're told that this in itself, he stays through the night because we're told that the next morning, if you look at verse 35, that on the next day, I mean, if that wasn't enough, Jesus takes it a step further and says, I'm just going to show you what this looks like. Love with action. Compassion moved. The desire to help others overcome. And he says, look, the next day, the Samaritan gets up and he had business to attend to. He didn't just give up his life, right? He needed to get going. But he comes out and he, he takes two days wages. He takes two denarii, which is equivalent of two full days of work, and he takes that and he gives it to the innkeeper at the front. He says, look, I, I want you, here is some money, some resources. I want you to go ahead and take care of him. But whatever more you spend, I want you to just do it. Because I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make sure that that is paid for. It's powerful. It's powerful. Because it's not just a lending hand. It's not just a handout or something to soothe something inside of him. He actually steps into the person's life and decides to start the healing process and then does whatever it takes to make sure it gets fully recovered. He, just, he will provide what the man needs to be revived, to receive life, to be able to move on and overcome that in itself is worth reflecting on. And so Jesus looks at him, looks at the man after telling his story, and he says, now, I want to ask you something. Which of these do you think it was, was really an adequate representation of what it means to love your neighbor? And so the man responds, and he says, well, uh, it, would, it would be the one that showed mercy on him. And so Jesus sits there looking at him, and he says, oh, yeah, that's true. Now I want you to go and do likewise. And we see throughout all of Scripture, in fact, we see this in the four Gospels, the, the first four books of the New Testament, that throughout, throughout this, uh, these letters of describing Jesus' ministry, there's a pattern where Jesus steps into a person's life and decides to fill them with purpose in life and reminds them of God and brings them near to the heart of God and something of that love transforms him. And, and then after doing that with 12 of his followers, he decides to turn around then and say, now you are empowered to go out and do that to others. 
Now that you have been touched by the love of God, you are able to go out and help others overcome the hurts of life. And so we, we see that they go out and they're empowered and they do amazing things. They see God work and all they do is show up and, and they do it and they do it in Jesus' name and God shows up and does amazing things. They come back and they're celebrating and they're exciting. You, you won't believe what just happened, Jesus. And you know, I, I wonder if Jesus was thinking, no, I, I know what just happened. I, you know, I, I made it happen. And so after that, he turns around and he gets 70 people. And he says, now you are empowered. You 70 are empowered. I'm going to go ahead and send you everywhere, wherever you can. I'm going to send you to designated spots. I'm going to send you to your spheres of influence. And you're now going to be the hands and feet of this message, of this love, of this amazing grace and truth of this hope and they come back and they're excited and and then Jesus celebrates with them and I think if nothing else this serves a mo- as a model for us of what it might look like for us to step in to a person's life not only a teen's life but anybody's life and help us learn how to overcome help others overcome the hurts of life. And I'll tell you, the first thing that came to mind out of this story is that God's heart is, is powerfully represented when we step into the life of a hurting person and walk with them. That there is, that God dwells with the brokenhearted, that His heart yearns to help them, to be there with them. In fact, a psalmist Maybe through observing, maybe through experiencing in his own life and maybe seeing it in his own community, said this about the Lord. He says, the Lord is close. He says, I've observed that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That he rescues them from all their troubles. So when we step into a person's life and decide to yoke up with them, to join with them and walk with them, we ourselves are not necessarily the answer. But we are empowered by God. And we enable Him to do what He does best, which is to bring life and hope and grace and truth. And the second thing I would say is that when it comes to stepping into people's lives and helping them overcome the hurts of life, is that oftentimes our wounds serve as our areas of ministry. Where we have felt pain, where we have felt a touch of life's infliction on our souls is usually where we're able to have compassion. I I wonder if it was appropriate that the Samaritan who is in touch with what it means to be rejected and outcasted and what it means to be avoided was the one who came up to the man and was the one who said, I understand. I may not totally identify. I may not have ever been there, but I understand and I I just want to help. Uh, You know, being with teens and working with youth leaders and families, one of the things if if people are interested in helping youth and teens overcome the hurts of life, you know, we meet and they want to serve in our ministry, which, by the way, any of you are welcome to uh, help in that way. But they they meet with me and we, we talk and stuff. And several times, you know, people feel... 
a bit unqualified or maybe not knowing how to do it. And, and one of the reasons, not the only, but one of the reasons is they just come out and say, you know what, I, had a hor- I don't think I was like the model teen. I, I had a really rough time in junior high and high school. And, uh, you know, usually I just tell them, well, that, that's actually really good. Because now you understand them. So you, you understand what it's like. You understand the pressures. And maybe you just need to allow God to use that. See, if we see people through our pain and our God use, transforms that and gives us the compassion. And if nothing else, I would say that on a practical note, that one of the best ways to do this is listening, is, is to actually listen without judgment and without an agenda overriding, but just a desire of humility and gentle and sincere listening and is one of the best ways. I'll tell you, I, I'm probably the first one who, who interrupts, who talks, who just jumps in before they, they even start. You know, I mean, I, I think I've, I've had several occasions now, especially the longer I'm in youth ministry, the, long, the, the more this is possible to happen, likely to happen if I don't restrain myself. But I'll be sitting beside a teen or I'll be hearing a teen and listening to them and stuff. And I just, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I, I've seen you before three years ago. Not you, but I've seen 18 in your position, and I, I kind of know how this is going to go. So let me just jump in here and just tell you, all right? Let me just solve this for you, and uh, if you just do this, I think things will go better, right? And, um, and I, that is a danger. And the, those are the times when I jump in and I just kind of just start talking that I realize, man, I just shut that door. And those are the times I go home thinking to myself, I blew it again. And, you know, I, I think to myself, man, I need to really learn. Because it's been the times when I just sit there and just ask, you know, just, wow, that, that's intense. That, that hurts. Why don't you just tell me a little bit more about that? That something opens up. You see, listening, genuine listening, does something. It actually tells the person that they are worth stopping for. And their pain is worth listening to and joining in. But if nothing else, listening gives us a huge opportunity. And it doesn't happen right away. You know, it's not like, well, two minutes of listening and you have X amount of opportunity. It's, you know, it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, I wish I could go to high school, spend lunch with a teen and say, okay, now here's the thing. Here's the deal. Here's what you need to do. God's in your life now. I'm done. See ya, right? It doesn't happen that way. One thing that, that does happen, though, is that we get the opportunity over time. When we listen, we maybe gain credibility, gain trust, and we're able to actually join this person and lead them to the one who's able to solve things, to the one who's able to go ahead and mend a ruptured soul. See, we do not have the ability to go into a human heart and bring hope in life. We, we don't have that. We're extremely limited, but when we join with somebody and help them and walk with them, and then, you know what, that, I know this hurts. I know this is painful. But let's invite God in here. I may not understand, but He 
definitely does. And I may not be able to solve this, but I know Jesus can. And when you invite that love in, we get to be a part of God's amazing work. And we get to see people overcome the hurts of life. It's powerful. It's powerful. Because the truth is, our role as people who have experienced the love of God is not to fix or to mend. Our role is to show up. And God is ready and willing to use anybody who steps in. We may not be capable. We may not be totally qualified. God is. And if we just step in, I'm convinced that God will supply us with the necessary resources and energy and endurance and strength. And like the disciples who come back, we will be able to celebrate the love of God that is real and alive and able to not only start a healing process, but actually finish what he began. The closing song the band is going to be sharing with us in a moment is called Let Love In. and It's what we imagine a friend who has joined somebody hurting would be admonishing his friend to do. To let the transformational love of God in. So we pray that uh, you, you would be blessed by this. And so we're going to have the band come up and the ushers will receive the offering. Let's pray. God, I just, I thank you, Jesus, for stepping into the darkest of places. And I thank you, God, for not only identifying and understanding and taking it on yourself, but giving us a hope and a life. And thank you for choosing to use us, God. I pray that you would help us Help us step in to the hurts of others, God. Give us the courage we need. Give us the resources required of us, Lord, that we would be able to step in to the hurts of our friends and coworkers and allow you to do your work and see you do amazing things. So we pray for this, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.